0: Well, good morning. good morning. If you could turn your Bibles to Second Timothy? Yes, we are still in chapter one. <laughs> I think this will be the last week in chapter one. <laughs> we'll see. Second Timothy, chapter one. We've been kind of going through this book over the number, number of weeks. There's three weeks previous, and we have one more week next week that we'll be going over. Second uh, Timothy, but we'll be diving into chapter two. That's the plan, anyways. Uh, but Second Timothy chapter one, we'll read the chapter again, and it's in its entirety. Second Ch- Timothy chapter one, reading from verse one: Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience. As I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into to flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power And brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day which has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me, in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus." By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Anesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day, and you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus." 2 Timothy, again, is Paul's final letter that he writes that is included in Scripture. And it applies not only to Timothy, but if you get into chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, he's addressing those who are reading the letter with Timothy. And by extension, it's applicable to us today. 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 1 says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. That's what all of this boils down to. Everything that we've been looking at in 2 Timothy chapter 1, everything that's included in chapter 2 and chapter 3 is getting to the point of, that Paul is trying to make preach the word. Preach the word, Timothy. Go out in strength. Go out in power. The power that's dwelling inside of you. The power of the Holy Spirit. Activate those gifts. Fan into flames. Stir up the gift that is within you. And go out and preach the gospel. Preach the word. And verse 1 is also a very sobering statement. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. And who is this? He is the one who is to judge the living and the dead. Don't be ashamed of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't be ashamed or or don't look at your peers and what they might say to you, that they might judge you in this life. Don't look to your friends and family who might judge you in this life, but look unto the one who judges the living and the dead. And the one who has his kingdom, kingdom that will reign forever and ever. That was Paul's perspective. And so Paul's service in this life was defined by looking at the one who was the judge of all things. Not mankind who would judge Paul. Who would subject him and beat him and leave him for dead. His perspective was a heavenly perspective. A perspective that we too should have. Paul was constantly looking forward to that time when he would see Christ. But he also recognized that the Lord Jesus Christ was judge; That Christ was All. Ultimately, Paul gave his life in service to Christ. And so in 2 Timothy, Paul is giving his final instruction to Timothy. Fan into flame the gift of God that's in you, Timothy. Don't let it die out. Stir up that gift that's in you. God has gifted you and given you a purpose within the church. Go about God's work. Go about God's work. To not use my gifts or my calling is to violate my very existence post-salvation in Christ. My very existence on this earth is defined by the Lord Jesus Christ, and we've looked at this already. My purpose is, and my life is not, no longer my own. And so I must serve Christ in this life. That is my sole responsibility in life now. And Paul specifically begins instructing Timothy from that point of view. You've been given a gift, now get on with it. Stir it up, don't let it die out. Don't let outside pressures come in and and subdue the work that you're commissioned to do. Do it with courage because God has designed you to be able to do it. He's given you every necessary tool at your disposal, all the resources needed. He's given you power, love. He's given you self-control or discipline. Lean into them, use them. And as a result, you will serve in a way that unashamedly serves Christ. And as you serve him, you will no doubt face persecution and opposition. Expect it. It's part of the job. Just continually realize how great your God is. And that flood of peace within those circumstances will wash over you. Last week we saw how Paul emphasized looking at the source of all these wonderful things that have been given to us, all of these resources at our disposal. He encouraged Timothy in this passage to look unto God. Not to look unto himself and to see his own abilities, but to look unto God. We saw that in verses 9 through 10. To look unto God who accomplished everything through Christ. And he listed out all these items uh, that God has accomplished through Christ. He saved us. He called us. He made the unholy holy. He had a purpose in it all. All of it done and planned before the ages began. We saw that Christ was raised from the dead and by it abolished death and brought life to the dead sinner. Immortality to the ones who deserved eternal damnation for rebellion against God. That's who our God is. That's how powerful God is. He accomplished all those things. Paul turns his attention again. And we saw that last week. He turned his attention to God and said, Timothy, fan into flame the gift of God that is in you. You have all these resources at your disposal. And as you go about God's work, I want you to look at God and here's everything that he's done. Here's how powerful he is. And then Paul changes direction a little bit and he says, here is my life as a guide. Here is this in practice. And so he lists out, and goes through his life and in a way he calls on Timothy to mirror his life as it relates to Christ. Not to mirror his shortcomings that Paul did have, but to mirror Christ as Timothy would see it in Paul's life. And so we'll come in at verse 11. Paul is saying again, he's speaking and he's writing, For which I was appointed a preacher and apostle And teacher, so again, Paul is getting into an example of his life. What does his life look like as a Christ-centered life, as a Christ-lived life? He says, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher. And a little bit into verse 12, which is why I suffer as I do. What is Paul appointed over? Well, the previous verse ends with the word gospel. The Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which, relating to the gospel, I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. And so it's the gospel that he has been appointed over. Specifically, the idea of life and immortality through the gospel. Now, if we were each of us to get a a card handed out to us and we were asked the question, what is the gospel? Uh, I hope we're all al- aligned on that, but there might be slight variations, inversions, and I've heard people uh, include in the gospel certain church order, uh, certain meeting times are included in their version of, of the gospel, uh, just different things that are outside of what I believe the true gospel is that we'll see here uh, in a second. So there's many Gospels in a way. Paul speaks to this idea of that there are many Gospels, that the word Gospel is is not just directly related to um, the Gospel of the Bible. The Gospel uh, essentially means good news, right? But the Gospel of the Bible is what we'll look at today. And so there are many good news ideas, and there's many preachers that stand up at pulpits and give all sorts of messages that might sound like good news, but they're not the Gospel Of the Bible. And so, what is the gospel to Paul? What is the gospel to us? What is the root of the gospel? He was appointed again a preacher, an apostle, and teacher. He was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher of the gospel. But let's go up to verse one. How does this this chapter begin? Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Paul, right, we see that he's in verse 11, through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, but he's already introduced the idea. In verse 1, he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, to Paul, the gospel is Christ. The gospel is Christ. It begins and ends with the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. His death, his burial, his resurrection, what he accomplished at Calvary, what he accomplished during the resurrection. The gospel is Christ. And Paul makes it very clear. It's no accident that verses 10 and 11 mirror verse 1 and draws that connection together that the gospel is Christ. Now he was appointed a preacher, an apostle and teacher of the gospel. Paul on the Damascus Road was commissioned by God. He was a chosen vessel unto God to serve in preaching the gospel. And if we turn uh, to the book of Acts, we'll kind of see that story, at least a couple verses. Acts chapter 9. And for the sake of time, I think we'll drop down to verse 10. So Paul has had his... The experience that he went through of the Lord revealing himself to him. And in Acts chapter 9, verse 10, we see sort of this commission uh, that God has placed on Paul. Acts chapter 9, reading from verse 10, it reads Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, I love that. A man who, Ananias, who was terrified of of Paul, (laughs) Saul, um, greets him, Brother Saul. The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. Amazing. Paul realizes his duty, his responsibility placed on his life. It's no longer about what he was doing before. It's no longer about him. Instead, who does he preach? He preach, preaches Christ. It says immediately. Right? He, he just goes out and he begins and he doesn't stop. And he's still preaching the gospel right to the point pretty much of him being beheaded. <laughs> he continually preaches Christ from this point on. He realized the responsibility on his life. He has work to do for God in this life, and so he actively goes out to make that happen. He's no longer his own. If Paul had remained his own and, and the Damascus Road had not happened, Paul would have continued living his life rounding up Christians, and he would have died murdering Christians. But instead, Paul's life is now defined by the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? He lives breathe the Lord Jesus Christ. That is his everything. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 27, Paul says, "But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified." Paul has this tremendous sense of responsibility towards God and what has been given to him. Right? He says, I discipline my body because I don't want to be disqualified. I don't want to preach things and not live them out. And right? be, be disqualified from the ministry that I've been called to. It's a very sobering verse, especially for those who stand up on the pulpit. Right? I want to preach Christ truthfully through the power of the Holy Spirit. So I discipline my body, I cut everything else out but the Lord Jesus Christ. And I preach him. That's what Paul is driving at. And so he has this tremendous sense of responsibility towards what God has given him. He was appointed a preacher, that means a herald or someone who proclaims, someone that announces a message publicly. He was an apostle. His authority to preach was based on him being chosen directly by Jesus Christ, he was a teacher. An instructor, and in this context, one who disseminates the truth of God. If you were to ask Paul to identify himself, that's how he would. I'm a preacher, I'm an apostle, and I'm a teacher of Christ, of the gospel. Right? There's no personal version that, oh, I'm Paul. You know, here's my history, here's my resume, here's everything that I've done, here's my education. No, Paul defines himself by Christ. I am an apostle, I'm a preacher, I'm a teacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's who he is. Oh, if we would be like Paul and define ourselves solely by the Lord Jesus Christ. That what is your, what has God called you to do in this life and that is who you are in this life. For me, I am a preacher and teacher of the gospel. I should be identified by that. People should be able to look at me and say that that is who I am, that I am for the Lord Jesus Christ, not me personally. That's his calling. And so he identifies himself as that. In verse 12, he comes in in 2 Timothy 1, he says, Which is why I suffer as I do. Which is why I suffer as I do. What reason? Because I serve in the capacity that God has called me to. I serve in the capacity that God has called me to, and therefore I suffer. Therefore I suffer. I suffer because I preach the truth of Christ. I suffer because I claim to be a, res- a representative of God. That is why I am suffering in this prison. That is why I am bound in chains. Again, Paul identifies himself, and he never says, I'm a prisoner of Rome. He says, I'm a prisoner of Christ. I'm a prisoner of Christ. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 17, the latter part of that verse says, for I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. I don't bear in my body the marks of a whip. I don't bear in my body the marks of, of Roman soldiers who have beaten me. I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. His identity is solely in Christ. And in other words, I am being beaten and whipped because I so identify with Christ. They hate Christ so much, and since Christ isn't here, they just beat me instead. That's Paul's approach. They hate Christ so much and because he's no longer here, they just beat me and whip me instead. I bear the same marks that Jesus bore. They whipped him and they'll whip me. They slandered his name and they'll slander mine. If anything, all these things I suffer means that Christ is being more and more revealed in me. The more they whip me, the more I look like my Savior. That's Paul's approach. No matter what comes against me, no matter what I might face in this life, all it's doing is revealing Christ in me. People might slander my name. Well, they slander the Lord Jesus Christ's name. And so it's revealing Christ in me. They might whip me and beat me and leave me for dead. They did the same thing to Christ. It's revealing Christ in me. You see, Paul is identifying himself with Christ and saying that my sole purpose in this life, my sole identity in this life is in Christ. So I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. I am a prisoner of Christ. That's the reason I suffer. I'm a prisoner of Christ, as he says in 2 Timothy. He also says it in Ephesians. I suffered shipwrecks and have been stoned. I've been beaten and left for dead. I've suffered because of my commission. And although Paul went through all of this, and we looked at the very first uh, time that we opened up 2 Timothy, we looked at Paul's life and everything that he endured, everything that he suffered, that massive list that he lists out. Most people would have given up the first or second thing that happened to them. Paul was shipwrecked multiple times, he was beaten multiple times, he was left for dead multiple times, and yet he kept going for Christ. Most people would look at his life and think it was a waste. The world as a whole would look at his life and say, man, what a waste. A man with a prominent position within a country. He was wealthy, he was educated, but he gave it all up. That doesn't make sense. Instead, he's sitting in a prison, awaiting his execution. But yet he says, I did it all for Christ. Christ. At all for Christ. Paul says, Look, I suffer these things because I was appointed to do this. I was appointed to do this. I was given gifts and then I used them. There isn't a decision to be made. Right? God gave me gifts, He gave me a commission, He gave me a purpose in this life. There isn't a decision to be made should I use them or should I not? I'm compelled to serve the one that I love. The one that gave himself for me. The one who first loved me. Paul's saying there is no decision to be made. So Timothy, fan into flame the gift of God. Go about God's work. There's no decision to be made. Just do what God has called you to do. My responsibility of service to God is not to paint an easy life for you. Not to stand up here and say that, hey, when you come to Christ... Everything's going to be hunky dory. Your bank account's going to get filled. Uh, You're not going to face any hardship in this life. It's going to be an easy, enjoyable ride. That is not my responsibility. And many preachers have gotten up and preached that message. That is not the message of the Bible. What have we looked at? And what did we look at last week? Paul says if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, expect persecution. Because the closer that you get to the Lord Jesus Christ, the closer that your life mirrors his life. And how did his life go? He was persecuted beyond measure. So we're to expect persecution, but have joy in it as we realize that we are becoming more and more like Christ. The world hated him. They will hate us. They should hate us. If the world loves us, I think we might be doing something wrong. So expect persecution. Paul shows us that it's not the case to just, that life will be easy, that life will be a breeze. Right? That's not the message of the Bible. The, the message of the Bible isn't that life is going to be just the greatest, the easiest thing that you will ever experience. It will be the greatest thing that you have ever experienced. The Bible promises that. And it's very clear on that. But it won't be easy. But the rewards are worth it. And Paul is pleading to, with Timothy here. He's giving his own life as an example of Christ centered living. He's given his own life as an example of Christ centered living that it's brutal, <laughs> that it might be terrible, that you might face complete and utter hardship that you might never have experienced otherwise. Yet it's not your own life. The life to be lived for Christ. In verse 12, he says, which is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day which has been entrusted to me. But I am not ashamed, for I know. I'm not ashamed even though I suffer. Right? No matter what came against Paul, he could say resolutely, I am not ashamed No matter what people might say about me, no no matter what they might throw my name into the mud, no matter what they might do, I am not ashamed. Why? Because I know. Because I know. And that simple statement carries a lot of weight. I know means to know something because you have perceived it with your senses and come to the conclusion that it is true. That's what that Greek word means. To know something because you have perceived it with your senses and come to the conclusion that it is true. In essence, this is Paul's testimony in these, in this, these two words in, in our Bible. I know. People have abandoned me. People are ashamed of Christ. I will not be. Because I have personally grasped Christ. That's Paul's message here. I have personally grasped Christ. My faith is fully settled. And it's in the perfect tense, which means it is something done in the past with continuing results. I continue to believe the one that I have already believed in. That's a marvelous statement. I know whom I have believed. I continue to believe in the one that I have already believed in. I know whom I have believed And Paul makes a specific statement as well. He says he knows whom he has believed in, not what he has believed in. It's very important. The thing that led Paul through all the trials and tribulations that he faced was not doctrine. It was Christ. It was Christ. I know whom I have believed, and because I know him personally, I am Convinced, Or in the King James, it renders it persuaded. I am persuaded. Paul was completely confident in who he believed in. And Paul's confidence lies in God's power that he is able to guard or to keep, as the King James Version puts it. And it's a military term which means the exact same thing in English. To be on guard or to keep watch. Paul is saying that he's able to preach, teach, be an apostle. That he's able to serve Because he has complete and utter trust in his security. Nothing can take him out of the hand of God. No matter what man might do to him, no matter how many times he might be beaten or slandered, no matter what he might face in this life, he realizes that nobody can take him out of the hand of Almighty God. That once he is God's, he is God's forever. Once he is a child of the the living King, he is a child of the living King forever. He is convinced of it. God's love for him has not and will not fail. He's looked back on his entire life. Remember, this is the very end of Paul's life, and so he's looking back at the entirety of his life. He's looked back on it all and everything that he has been through, he says, with confidence. Every hardship that he's faced, he looks back on it, not with anger, not with contempt, not with saying, why, God, did you put me through all of that? But he looks back on his entire life and he says, I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that everything that I've gone through has just added to me being convinced of who the Lord Jesus Christ is. What a marvelous example of a life for us. That he would look back on all the hardship that he has faced. He wouldn't look back on it with anger, with contempt, with hatred towards God and say, why God, why? Instead, he would look back on all of it and say, I am further convinced of who the Lord Jesus Christ is, that he is a great God. Might we look back on our lives, not look back at times of hardship and just kind of be angry towards it or what we might be facing today or tomorrow or this week or just in this time period of our lives and say, why God? Why are you putting me through this? But instead, look at those and see And be further convinced that God is who he says he is, that the Lord Jesus Christ is God, that he is the all powerful, all seeing, almighty God of the universe. That we would take a page uh, out of Paul's life here and say, I am convinced. Without a shadow of a doubt, I am convinced who the Lord Jesus Christ is. Paul is saying, I don't have any fear. I don't have any shame. Because I trust my security. I gave my life to Christ and then I went about my job. What an amazing confidence he has. I made my deposit with God. I said, God, here's Paul. And then he went and lived for Christ. It's my prayer that we would do that as well. That we would simply give ourselves completely and surrender ourselves completely to the one who holds us by his almighty hand and say, I don't live for Philip Gerard anymore. Here's Philip Gerard, Take him. I want to live for you. It's my prayer that we would all say that this morning, that we could all say that this morning. And as we live our lives in this world, that we would just live it for him. That we would look at Paul and see the example of his life and say, I want to live a life like that of just complete surrender to God and to Christ. Paul's confidence, again, didn't come from his theology. It didn't come from lineage or association. It didn't come from a denomination. It came from a firsthand relationship with Christ. That's so important. Who he trusted completely and absolutely. And he says in verse 12, I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. What day is that? Comes up again in verse 18, speaking of Vanessa Forest, Paul mentions it in chapter 4, verse 8. He says, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me also, uh, not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ will have a day when they receive the crown of righteousness. What day is that? The day the Lord comes to reward his church. Yes, there's a lot more there, but the simplicity of it, the day the Lord comes to reward his church. The day of the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat. Romans 14 speaks of it. 2 Corinthians 5 speaks of it. Revelation 22.12, which we looked at uh, over a year ago now, but Revelation 22.12 says that the Lord comes quickly and his reward is with him. The Lord Jesus will return for the church and take it to be with him. And at that time, we will stand before Christ, just like we've sung, not in judgment over our sins, but rather to receive rewards for our service to him. That day. That day. Paul is saying that he has complete confidence that the Lord is able to hold on to his life until the day he stands to receive his internal reward. If that's not confidence. I don't know what is. His complete and utter trust in his God and his God's power. Jude 24 says, To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, his joy, that he joys in the fact that he will present us before his Father as a holy, clean bride. John 10 verse 28 says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Paul is saying that he will abandon his own life for the cause of Christ because he trusts his security in Christ. We just have one final story in 2 Chronicles. It's just kind of, a, I just love these couple verses here. 2 Chronicles 32. Second Chronicles 32, and just verses 7 and 8. And it's kind of an interesting story as, as you take it as a whole, uh, but we're just going to look at these couple verses, and I'd encourage you to kind of look at the story later on. But 2 Chronicles 32, verse 7 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or dismayed before the king of Assyria and all the horde that is with him. For there are more with us than with him. With him is an arm of flesh But with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people took confidence from the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. In essence, that's Paul's letter. He says, I want you to have confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so look at who's with us. Look at the power of God. Look at all that he's given you, all the resources at your disposal and go on and live your life in confidence knowing that God is with you that God is for you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this time that we could open up your word. We thank you for the book of 2 Timothy, for the the example there that it is to us, how you would lead your servant Paul. And he would go through hardship that, that is beyond anything most of us will ever experience. But yet through it all, he would say, I know whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded. I'm persuaded. Paul was completely convinced of who he believed in. Lord, we pray that the pressures that we might feel in this life, the the things that might come against us in this life, no matter what we might face, we pray that we might say with confidence, I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded. I am convinced in it. Father, we pray that we wouldn't shy away from our responsibility to use the gifts that have been given to us. That we wouldn't shy away from our responsibility to preach Christ crucified. That we wouldn't shy away from a life lived for you, but that we would boldly proclaim the name of Christ. That you would give us boldness day by day. That we would lean on you and look to you. That we might look heavenward. That we might set our minds on things above, not on things in the earth. So we pray that as we go our separate ways this morning, might the name of Christ be on our minds, be on our lips, be on our tongues, be be everything to us, that we might live for him um, from this day forward, Lord. And we pray for those who are perhaps here who have not put their faith and trust in you. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you might do a work in their hearts, that you might draw them unto yourself, that you might reveal the scriptures further to them, to realize that God loves them and gave himself for them. And so we just pray for a mighty work this morning. We just thank you and praise your name. In the name of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.